Hello and welcome to Too True to Lie with Harry Day. I'm back in my studio, aka the mud room in my house, where you enter from the garage. And uh, we had a football game tonight for my son. He's uh, 10 years old, fifth grader. Fifth grade football, organized chaos. I'm uh, the sixth coach out of six coaches on our team. But I took it upon myself tonight to be the, uh, let's say, the lead. What's the word for it? I'm sitting here looking at Wikipedia as my uh, visual, and I can't think of the word I want to say. The inspiration for the team. We have 25 kids, I believe, on our fifth grade football team. And my inspiration to the team was that if they won the game, I would let two of the players, the best offensive and best defensive players, shave off my mustache. Now I've had a mustache and a goatee probably since midsummer. I usually have it all winter during hunting season, let my hair grow, let my beard and mustache grow. You know, I'm almost 50, so I can grow hair pretty good. I guess I'm very lucky to have hair on top of my head. But now that I'm 50, I can finally grow a mustache. Oops. And so we went into the game. We'd lost our first game. Our guys, you know, they're fifth graders and they just don't seem to want to hurt other people. But the other teams have, you know, hit our guys pretty, pretty good. And we went through the first half and we were down... 12 to 7 and we had the speech you know coaches talking to the kids down in the end zone and uh, you know the head coaches were talking about offense and talking about tackling and talking about ball security and playing hard and uh, there was a lull in the conversation and the cheerleaders the fifth grade cheerleaders were out on the field doing their routine there's probably about 25 of them and the boys were mesmerized watching the cheerleaders we're trying to get the kids amped up for a second half you know play harder get your defense going stop them get your offense going don't drop the ball on the ground stuff like that cheerleaders finish and the kids are looking around so I took it upon myself to bring the inspiration back up. I told them at the beginning of the game, if you win the game, the best players from offense and defense can shave off my mustache. I brought my electric shaver. It's in the med kit over on the table. This is a real deal. This will happen. They were excited about it. They must have forgotten. I reminded them that I'm probably going to be taking my mustache home after the game. And they were like, no way. You're gonna, we're going to shave that mustache. I'm like, you got to win the game, guys. You've got to win the game. You got to play hard. You got to hit them harder than they hit you. You got to make the plays. They went out there and made the plays. They went out there and stopped the other team cold every time they had the ball. They dominated field position. We scored and went up 
Let's see, 13 to 12. Fifth grade football games never go into the 40 to 39 football realm of scoring. It's always low, it's always seven to six or 12 to 13. Well, that's what we did, 13 to 12. The very end of the game, we kept them from moving the ball from out of their, deep in their territory. We stuffed it every time. My boy, who's one of the smaller kids, Ethan, plays cornerback and wide receiver. He's one of the smaller kids on the team. He plays almost every down because he gets out there and he hits people. He gets out there and makes plays. He went out there last game and on his first reception ran it in for a touchdown because the boys couldn't catch him. He's fast. You are listening to a proud daddy. Super proud daddy. He made a tackle right in front of coach today on the end to keep from, he sealed the edge. The boy came around, his receiver wasn't open, and my boy Ethan took him down right in front of coach, head coach Casey. Casey was stoked, looked at me, said, that's E. I said, I know, that's my boy. I'm beaming, I'm proud. So they win the game, and they're all like, you're going down to me. They're saying this to me. I'm six foot four. These little boys are four feet tall at the tallest. Some of them are a little bigger. And so we go to the end zone. We have our talk post game. Coach decides, okay, you on offense ran the ball up the middle several times, hit some people hard, hurt your ankle, came back in and played. What was his name? There's so many kids. How can you remember these guys' names? All their names. You see their last names on their jerseys. Walt. Well, that's his name. Walt's not a big kid either, but he gets out there and plays hard, and he hits people. He ran people over. He scored. He got to shave off half my mustache. And then Mac, on the other side, on defense, made some big plays, some big stops, played hard, hit hard. He got to shave off half my mustache. So I kneel down, get on the ground, and give them my electric shear razor. I cover my lower lip and my uh, my uh, goatee, everything below the mouth, hair. You know, I like to have facial hair. You may not know that, now you do. I cover it, I, they take turns and they shave off the mustache. Well, I'm looking around from my peripheral and the guys are crowded in. I'm so proud of these boys. They, they're crowded, they're 10 years old, they're 11 years old. They're crowded in, wide-eyed. They've just won a game, and they're all about taking me out, shaving my face off, <laughs> shaving my hair off, shaving my mustache is all I let them do. So they take their time. One's real, real into it, real slow, real methodical. Shaves off half my mustache, gives it to the other guy, and he's just wah, 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 wah. He shaves off the other half. They're beaming. I'm happy for them. I'm looking around. All these phones are in the air recording it, it's coaches and parents. It was way bigger a deal than I thought it'd be. But these guys earned it. They won their first game. Their very first game was canceled due to weather. Second game they lost, um, I wanna say 14 to six, might've been 13 to six. Um, this game, they pulled it out, 13-12 win. They were excited. Um, I was excited. All the coaches and parents were excited. You know, it's 
It's for the kids. It's all for the kids. This is American football at its purest form. These are kids out there wearing pads and helmets, hitting each other. Kids got hurt in this game, not seriously. They had to come out and walk it off. You know, some had to dry their eyes. Some had to, you know, one kid got hit with a helmet in his thigh, right on the pad, and he had to be helped off the field limping. But five minutes later, he's ready to go. Same with Walt, he was ready to go. He had his ankle stepped on. These kids, man. Love your kids, guys. Ladies, moms, dads, grandparents, obviously grandparents are gonna love your kids. Moms and dads, love your kids. Love them more than yourself. My kid pulled a fast one on me tonight. I come walking into the Big Black River studio here in the mudroom in my house to record an episode of Too True to Lie. And he'd left his school belt, which is black rope belt, not a rope, he's not destitute. It's the woven belt, but it's in an S shape on the floor. I walk into the room. Oh, that's not a snake, that's just his belt. In the middle of the floor, no shoes, no nothing, just a belt, looks like a snake. Now you may be thinking, why would you think there'd be a snake in your house? Well, I live in the country. My family and I live out in the country. We're out off a uh, state highway at the end of a gravel driveway. And uh, we have snakes out in our yard, out in the woods, out by my little catfish pond out here. I just killed a uh, cottonmouth last week trying to eat a frog in my uh, catfish pond. And we killed a rattlesnake over in the Mississippi Delta a few weeks ago while burning off a uh, food plot to plant duck millet. We'll get into these things another time with the hunting. Right now we were talking about football, then we got into snakes. The reason I get into the snake part is you're thinking there's not going to be a snake in my house. We thought that. My wife came walking out the door the other day. We're going out to eat. I'm in the truck. Kids are in the truck. Got the AC on. It's summer. It's hot. Um, I can just barely see the profile of our garage door. I, I see it open. I see maybe an inch of my wife's right hand and maybe her nose tip and a strand of blonde hair stick out the side of the door view. I hear a scream, and I see the door slam. I'm thinking, what in the world is she doing? And so we're sitting there another about 30 seconds, and here she comes out the front door, wide-eyed, comes to the truck, says, Harry, there's a snake at the door. And I don't mean a little snake. I mean, like, I look down, and there's a snake from door right to door left. It goes beyond both sides. I slam the door. Go take care of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I bet that was a really long snake. So I get out and I just walk into the garage. I'm not too scared of snakes unless they're in my face. And there's a five foot long rat snake, which is a very colorful patterned, dark brown to black with a light brown diamond patterns all up and down its body. Beautiful snake, really, if you're into reptiles and that sort of thing. 
But this is a five foot snake across my doorstep from behind the garbage can across the doorstep to the shoe area where we put all the hunting boots and things right outside the door. And so I get a, uh, I believe I got a stick, maybe a golf club. I think I got a golf club. Picked it up and threw it into the backyard and it starts crawling back towards the garage. Well, I'm like, well, I can't have this living in my garage area. So I get the pistol out of the truck. I have a judge, it's a 410 pistol. And I go and I pop snake in the head, it's dead. Well, here comes Ethan, my boy, with a plastic uh, baseball bat from his youth. He starts beating the snake, it has no head. And uh, so I let him beat it for a little while. And I go back into the woods, back behind the house, there's a pine plantation that's not ours. And I go throw it over the fence into there. And uh, you know, the foxes and the possums and raccoons and other vermin of the wild will take care of it and eat it within two days, I'm sure. Maybe quicker. Bugs go in there after that with what's left of the carcass. So, yes, we might get a snake in the house one day. This one was just going past the edge of the house. You may say, well, why did you kill a rat snake? They eat mice. They eat rats. Well, yes, they do, but this one might have made its home in my garage, and my wife will not have that. My daughter, who's 12, likely will not have that. And because it was a large snake, it has probably eaten a lot of rats. And so we're going to give the smaller ch snakes a chance to eat their rats and mice because there's plenty of field mice and rats out here in the country. We're in the middle of nowhere. We have two neighbors. They're close by. You know, we're a little triad village of houses. We all watch out for each other, borrow and give and lend and take from each other. We're family, even though we're not blood related. And uh, poisonous snakes are on the automatic kill list. Most other snakes aren't. Chicken snakes we will kill because we have, most of us have, our, my, my neighbor, Greg Harkins, the rocking chair maker down at the end of the driveway, he has chickens. I have two chickens, I have two hens that lay eggs for us. They've been on a, uh, they've been on strike for maybe two months now. It's been so hot, you know, uh, July, August, September, is the hot time of Mississippi. That's not grammatical, but that's southern-wise. It's pretty pretty well said. Well spoken, maybe. Um, we don't need chicken snakes. Found one of those in my shop where I do my metal work, my metal sculpture and my other uh, work on the lawnmower and the tractor and the four-wheelers and stuff like that. We found a chicken snake out there, and uh, I guess we ended up shooting it. No, no, used a machete and chopped it. I think we chopped it. Might have shot it after we chopped it. We killed it and then threw that over the fence in the back. There's probably snake bones scattered all through the woods back there. It's a relative snake graveyard. Um, the snakes we don't kill though, we do have good snakes. They're called king snakes. They're black with yellow speckles on them. They can get very long pretty big around but not fat like rattlers or uh, or uh, cotton mouths they can get pretty fat um, I saw a cotton mouth once out behind Greg's house I was on a tractor doing food plots one fall 
and I was turning around through some trees to go back and drop the disc down and uh, I looked down and here's this snake with its head up about a foot off the ground. You know, I'm on a tractor. My feet are probably two, two and a half feet off the ground. It made me pick my feet up and turn hard left. Well, I notice its head is to the right of my front tire. And its body goes along left and left and left and on left. And then I look past the left front tire and there's its tail way over there. This is a six plus foot long snake. I turned hard left. I had a sheath, a gun stop. What would you call it? A gun, gun sheath hanging beside my seat on the tractor. I keep a 22 in usually. I pull it out and pop four shots into the bush that this uh, snake goes into. I never see it again. I'm sure I didn't hit it. Um, and even if you hit a little body shot on a big snake like that, it's not going to kill it. Um, it went off into the lake, the pond back there. That was a big snake. Um, of course, the big snakes, they bite you they're gonna put a little venom in. It's the baby snakes, it's the little snakes. They bite you, they don't know what the world's like, what's going around, they think they're gonna die. They bite you, they pump in all the venom, you get real sick, and then you go to the hospital as fast as you can without making your heart race. So the poison spreads through your body, you gotta keep calm. I didn't get bit, I wheeled that thing left, got out into the open, stayed in the open, big snake. Now I've lost my train of thought, but we're on to snakes. We were football, now we're snakes. How far into this episode are we? We're 11 minutes into this episode. Um, we're going to go longer with the episodes. I'm going to try to keep it within the same parameter of subject. I would say we started with football. We went into snakes. Um... What's the date of today? today? It is 11 at night. The kids have gone to bed. The wife has gone to bed. She gets up early, gets the kids dressed, tries to get some food into them. That's doesn't get much into them. They don't eat much early. They get a snack early at school. Um, it is the eve of 9-11. And so I will take the second half of this episode and dedicate it to 9-11 because we were on the eve of 9-11 and I've been rolling through social media a little bit earlier and saw some uh, posts from some friends of mine that were notifying everyone that 18 years ago tonight roughly 3,000 people were having their last night together with their family and friends because they woke up and went to work in the Twin Towers on 9-11, or they woke up and went to the airport and got on a jet to go to wherever they were going, across country or up and down the eastern seaboard. And uh, terrorists made their strikes and uh, crashed their hijacked planes into the Twin Towers where there were thousands of people and it became um, a defining moment in this country for a generation, if not several generations, I would say. You know, the generation of people who witnessed it and went through it. And then we have the generations of children who lost family members from that tragic day of 9-11 or 
who were the children of heroes of that day, of firemen and first responders, port authority, policemen, EMTs, paramedics, ambulance drivers, volunteers, you know, heroes that just dropped what they were doing and helped people out of those buildings, helped people out of the rubble. It was something, quite something. Um, everyone always remembers where they were. Where were you? You may want to think about where you were in 9-11. 2001, excuse me, I just had some of my Arizona green tea. I'm not sponsored by them, but I love their product. Hey, do y'all remember when uh, Arizona, the Arizona governor, the, the woman, the female Arizona governor did something about, I, I'm real vague on these details, but I'm going to lead it to my point. The Arizona governor did something about immigration or about voter ID back in the 2000s, I believe, and a lot of leftists decided that they were going to... Um, boycott everything Arizona and a pattern I've seen when it comes to protests when it comes to leftists protesting is when they protest things like say Chick-fil-A business booms it's it's Main Street America it's Main Street America people they're not typically leftists I'm not going to tell you whether I'm leftist or rightist I'm a libertarian I'm a constitutionalist. I'm an independent. Um, I've said that's as far I, as I will get, you know, when I'm talking about politics. But with the Arizona Tea and Arizona and the Arizona governor and the leftists deciding they're going to protest everything Arizona. And one of those things that they protested was Arizona tea. Arizona tea makes a lot of different flavored teas, sweet tea, green tea, the watermelon uh, punch, fruit punch, watermelon, however you want to name it. It's fabulous. Hands above all the other watermelon juices you see in grocery stores. Another one of my favorites to drink. But Arizona tea was getting boycotted. And it took a little while to get out that Arizona tea is based in the state of New York. People didn't know that. Arizona tea wasn't really taking a hard hit by the protesters because you know, leftist protests just seem to not work. Maybe they can find a way to make their protests work better. I know Antifa is a leftist org that protests things and they're borderline uh, domestic terrorists these days so don't get mixed up with them um, I doubt they'll protest 9-11 so now that I've tangented out on another thought because I took a sip of my beautiful Arizona green tea in my Yeti cup um, oh, I'm not on that same one I'm 23 minutes into this podcast <laughs> So I better speed it up a touch. I will say, where was I on 9-11? I was living in Charleston, South Carolina. I was living on Folly Beach. I was living alone in a little beach cottage about two streets in from the beach. 
it was in my surfer period when I uh, surfed for life and I had a lot of side jobs at the time I'd been fired from my golf caddying job at a, at a golf resort at Kiowa and uh, that's a story in its own that I'll get into another day but I was starting a new job that day 9-11 I think it was a Tuesday but I'm not certain 2001 I was gonna be a bicycle delivery boy <laughs> imagine that I was in my 30s at the time for a uh, restaurant downtown where I hung my uh, paintings uh, I do oil and acrylic paintings I don't do them so much now that I do metal uh, sculpture but I had hung paintings down there and they needed a lunch delivery guy. Well, I had a good buddy that got me the job there and he made burritos and other things in this upscale uh, Mexican cuisine restaurant called Yo Burrito downtown just off King Street in Charleston. And he called me that morning and said, Harry, you've got to turn your television on and check out the news. Uh, some bad, you know what, just went down. I turned it on. One of the Twin Towers was burning. I only watch it for a few minutes, live footage, bam, the next one hits, the plane hits the other tower. You know, is this real? This can't be real, it was real folks. And what unfolded the rest of that morning was unbelievable. The uh, people jumping out of the buildings, the sounds of them slamming into the roof of the plaza with the alarms and beeps going off. When the firefighters were down there, people with live footage, um, mayhem, hysteria. That was urban horror. I may get into horror a little too much, trying to say my rural horror. This was your urban horror, and not of a uh, humorous kind by any means. But it was heavy stuff, and so uh, I got dressed, brushed my teeth. Took myself to work, drove downtown. They had it on the news, on the TV. We sat in the bar. We had a tequila bar in there. We sat in the bar and watched it. I remember uh, my friend Patrick, he's in the film industry now. He uh, works in New York City. He uh, is usually behind the camera, running running a cinematography or sound. Sometimes he's uh, on set, so he's a good actor too. He doesn't do a lot of it. They do commercials, they do shows. But at the time, he was a, a cook and he was in school. He's probably eight years younger than me, roughly. And he was working alongside another cook who was not in school. He was, this was his uh, job. And he was cooking. And he decided to say that uh, all the people in those buildings, when they started to fall, deserved what they got when the buildings went down. And, and my friend, you know, we all stepped back and we're just like, you don't know what you're talking about. We're not getting into it. My friend Patrick went off the handle. They started yelling. Patrick's like, I'm done. Drops his apron on the ground, storms out. He was done with that place too. He did not go back. I can't remember what job he got after that. I think he uh, got a job at a smoothie place. I would go see him at the smoothie place. He'd give me smoothies up King Street a little ways. Charleston, by the way, South Carolina. Fantastic city. You must go there if you hadn't been there. Beautiful city, friendly city, fantastic food. The beaches are gorgeous. If you feel like sending your kids somewhere to school where you think it's a fun place to go, but they'll get a good education, College of Charleston is there. It was right behind uh, where we were working. 
but that was where I was uh, on 9-11. Um, it's 11.16 p.m. here in Mississippi, so it is 9-11 by 17 minutes in New York City right now. I'm sure they've uh, drawn a little closer to each other this week and tonight and tomorrow than they probably normally would. I've never been to New York City. Besides when I was two years old, my uh, parents were going up to Boston to see uh, some family members of my father's. My father's father was from uh, Massachusetts. My father was born in uh, Texarkana, Arkansas. Um, I was born here in Mississippi in Jackson. My uh, mother is a Mississippi girl from North Mississippi, uh, sweet potato capital, Vardaman, shout out, hoorah. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just like my intro on my podcast, it all boils down to respect your neighbors, respect your friends, love your parents, love your children, love each other, be kind, smile to strangers, hold the door open, help people, smile to people. They may do the same thing to you. They may do the same thing and pass it on the next person they've come across. Spread the love. Spread the joy. Be good people. Make good decisions. That's what I, that's what I tell some, some of my uh, son's friends, you know, when they're about to run off during a high school football game, say last Friday night, we're hanging out with the coaches at the tent, almost like tailgating at a, a college, except this is high school football, and uh, it's getting big. Football's big in the South. It's big in the U.S. I'm talking about American football, not soccer. We love soccer, too. We're not going to down the soccer. We like all sports. We like all people. So, uh, peace, love, and unity. And thanks for tuning in to Too True to Lie. My name is Harry Day. And I'm almost dead on 30 minutes, which is my goal, I think. I'm not so sure. But I'm glad you came and listen to my little show, uh, my stories. Maybe they're happy, maybe they're warm, and maybe they're stupid. Maybe I'm all of those things. But uh, all I can say is be nice, be kind, be warm. Hug your neighbor, love your children, and peace out.